a Faith in Obey's podcast, 030, Lemonade in the Pool. Well, I hope we have aptly answered all the objections to water baptism so far. We've just learned that Ephesians 4.4 is true. There is only one baptism, and that one baptism is in water by the Spirit. It's one baptism with two things happening at the same time, just like Jesus told Nicodemus. One event two components. It all happens at the same time. Now, just when we think we're getting all of this nailed down, we bump into a conversion like this one. Acts 19, 1 through 7. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Well, this is a huge fly in the ointment of our one baptism, two components happening at the same time thingy, isn't it? And just as I thought we were well on our way to agreement, in this event, the Holy Spirit is clearly received after their physical baptism. What's up with that? And then how about this one? Acts 8, 12 through 17. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished at the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Ouch! This is really putting a dent in our theory. In this story, people are baptized, but once again they receive the Holy Spirit sometime later. How can this be? Well, as Ricky used to say, Lucy, you got some splaining to do. Okay, well, if you've never heard this before, get ready for some major light bulbs to come on. I'll never forget the first time I heard this. This explanation is a result of the kind of logical, reasonable Bible study I love hearing and sharing. This is the sort of thing that really fires me up to dig into the scriptures. I hope it inspires you too. Let's begin with a little illustration. Let me take you back to your childhood. Think back to those wonderful days of summer when you and all your friends played so hard in that sweltering July heat. You could really work up a thirst. Mom might make up a huge pitcher of ice-cold lemonade, which you and your friends gulped down eagerly, quenching your parched throats. It was particularly appreciated after a long bike ride, remember? Or even better, lemonade by the pool. 
nothing was quite as refreshing as splashing and playing in the chilly water of the swimming pool on a hot summer day. Water played a big role in the life of an out-of-school, fun-in-the-summer kid, didn't it? It was awesome. Just thinking about it puts a smile on our face. Sometimes the water went into us. Sometimes it was on us. Both were refreshing, but they were different modes of use. It's the same with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't just operate in one way. He comes into folks and he can come upon people. In the accounts we just reviewed, did you notice that phrase, came on and come upon? The scripture does not say the Spirit came into the believers. Now, I'm not splitting hairs here. There's an important distinction. Let's walk through it. First, let's remember, God promises the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit to every Christian, to everyone who obeys him. Here are two passages which explain this. Acts 2, 38-39. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And then Acts 5.32. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. In Acts 2 and 5, we learn the Holy Spirit is a promise. This was true for the people on the day of Pentecost, and he is also a promise for all generations. A promise by God cannot be broken. Therefore, whenever we see a person obey the gospel, without question, that person receives the Holy Spirit. This is what we call the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes in the Bible, we see a case where the Holy Spirit comes upon a believer. Each time it happens, this coming upon is associated with miraculous events. So, why did this happen? To understand, we need to recall the purpose of miraculous signs and wonders. Listen closely to these passages. Acts 22, verse 22 through 23. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. Mark sixteen twenty. Then the eleven disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Acts 14.3 So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. Acts 8.6 when the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. Hebrews 2, 3-4 This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Okay, I think we have enough to make the point. 
The miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit were always done for the purpose of verifying the veracity of the speaker. Jesus was accredited as authentic through the signs and wonders he performed. The word of the apostles was confirmed through the presence of miraculous signs and wonders. The message of Paul and Barnabas was confirmed by miracles. Philip's followers paid close attention to him because of the miraculous things they saw. Hebrews reminds us the message was confirmed by these events when God himself testified by performing them. The purpose of the miraculous signs was always to confirm what the preacher or prophet was proclaiming. In the conversions we just studied, the Holy Spirit is received or comes upon people who were already baptized. If they were baptized, they had already obeyed the gospel and experienced salvation, which by definition includes the indwelling gift of the Spirit. If we're unfamiliar with the different ways the Spirit works, this might seem confusing. Let's revisit these accounts and take things step by step. Acts 19, 1-2. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Well, Paul is in Ephesus. He meets some disciples. At first glance, we might assume these are disciples of Jesus. But as Paul gets to know them, he detects a problem. For some reason, he's prompted to ask, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, we're not told why he asked this question. We surmise it was something to do with the way these people spoke or acted, which led him to believe they were not Christians. Paul connects receiving the Holy Spirit with belief. At this point, we do not know if he's referring to the indwelling Holy Spirit or the miraculous manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Their reply is revealing. They answered, No, We have not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. Well, bottom line, their teaching is incomplete. It doesn't matter what measure of the Holy Spirit we're talking about here. They don't know anything about any kind of Holy Spirit. These disciples are not disciples of Christ. As Paul realizes this, he presses for more information. So Paul asks, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. John's baptism was a water baptism. These people respond with the common sense, usual case understanding of the word baptism. They only knew about baptism in water, specifically the baptism of John the Baptist. As an aside, I find this really interesting because it's been years since John the Baptist preached. Where had these guys been? Paul understands there's been no Christian baptism and goes on to present the rest of the story. He introduces them to Jesus. He presents the gospel. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When these people hear the message, they obey it and are baptized by Paul. This would be a baptism like we just studied in our last podcast. It was a baptism in water by the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and entry into the church. We see they are baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. We do not see anything outwardly miraculous happening at this point. Next, we read, 
when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Next, Paul lays his hands on these folks, and they speak in tongues and prophesy. We have now seen two separate events, a baptism and a coming upon. And what's the purpose of the miraculous portion? Well, it's to confirm the authenticity of the preacher. We see two separate things happen in this account, obedience to the gospel and a miraculous stamp of approval. These are two separate modes or workings of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit promised to every believer and the external working of the Holy Spirit to provide confirmation of the message. Let's look at our second conversion and take it step by step. Acts 8, 12 through 17. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Philip's powerful preaching surely included the instructions passed down in the Great Commission. Philip would have followed these instructions and baptized people in water in obedience to those commands. If these people were baptized, they would have received the promised indwelling Holy Spirit. This is not a maybe since it's a promise. Even Simon the sorcerer believed and was baptized. Now, before we move on, let me comment on Simon's baptism. Anti-baptism proponents will point to Simon and claim baptism's not important because it had no effect on Simon. If we continue reading in Acts 8, we discover Simon continues in his greed and his lust for power. What we forget when we make the claim about baptism regarding Simon is the third step in the biblical plan of salvation, repentance. Without repentance, nobody is saved. And real repentance must precede obedience in baptism. Simon serves as an excellent example regarding the critical importance repentance plays in conversion. Simon missed salvation because he never repented, not because obedience to the gospel is ineffective. This is still true today. Like Simon, many people are immersed in water because they believe, but true repentance has never taken place. The only thing this does is create a wet, deceived believer. These folks confidently point back to their immersion, even though it was not done according to the biblical plan of salvation as an important religious event. Baptism without true prior repentance is just as ineffective for us as it was for Simon. All right, back to the narrative. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. This is additional confirmation that these people were converted. Jerusalem hears that they had accepted the word of God. Accepting the word is a shortened, synonymous saying, which means they're now Christians. When they, meaning the apostles, arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. The apostles arrive and pray for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now, wait a minute. 
I thought they received the Spirit when they were baptized. Yeah, the indwelling Holy Spirit. Once again, that was a promise which cannot be broken for everyone who obeys the gospel. The passage does go on to clarify that statement. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. Some people get stuck on the phrase, received the Holy Spirit, and think that is a reference to the indwelling Holy Spirit. But receiving the Spirit as a phrase and a concept may be applied to both workings. This passage clarifies the meaning by using that because statement. Again, please note the two separate events, baptism and a coming upon or receiving. Well, let's sum this up. God is not making a mistake in choosing these very specific words or phrases. There's a reason for the precision. When someone decides to obey Christ after the repentance, they are baptized in water. During that baptism event, God, among other things, enters the believer's heart and life as the Holy Spirit indwells the believer. This is a one-time, permanent event. They are filled with the Holy Spirit, who will be their counselor and comforter until the day they enter heaven. This was a promise declared by Peter in Acts 2, and it will never change. All believers receive this specific measure of the Spirit when we are baptized in water in obedience to the gospel. Now, there's a second measure or manifestation of the Spirit. This is sometimes called receiving the Spirit or coming upon. Coming upon an individual is different than coming in an individual, and the Bible makes this distinction clearly. The coming upon was always accompanied by outward miraculous signs as confirmation of the speaker's message. Well, hopefully this clears up what's happening in those few times the Bible has conversions where the Holy Spirit comes upon a believer after they're baptized. Now, there are recorded occasions when the Holy Spirit came upon people before they are baptized in water. And he does it for a very specific reason. We'll look at that next. Well, thanks for listening. Join the argument at www.faiththatobeys.org slash blog.